0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here this evening. Uh, We have kind of an aggressive set of verses here, chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 26. Uh, I think we can get through that tonight. We'll see. Uh, What I've done mainly for the notes is I've put the information, all the verses on your notes. You obviously can read your Bibles as we do this, but I've also tried to break down the sections of what is being talked about in these verses. It's a lot of uh, uh, management information, uh, some genealogies. It's kind of like some housekeeping for Nehemiah. Uh, who's working where, who's living where. Uh, there's genealogies that are copied from 2 Chronicles here or the whoever wrote Chronicles, 2 Chronicles or ended the book of 2 Chronicles and put Nehemiah together. If their are two writers are the same or if they're different writers, they may be using a different or, uh, a source, a genealogical source, and both copying from that. Uh, they may be using different genealogical records. Uh, so one of the problems we're going to see as we get into this, we won't spend any time trying to resolve it, is there are some discrepancies in some names. Uh, and if you're copying a list out of Second Chronicles, it's not exactly the same but that can simply be broken down as far as they may be using one different records, they may be uh, two different records they're copying from, or even better there could be updates. You're going to see in here there's going to be even almost like a date given that this information was recorded or updated at this point up through this individual's time as high priest. So if you make the list uh, at you know on this particular date the list is going to look like this. But if you come back later and update it, it's going to be, you know, more more uh, f- uh, uh, up to date with more current information on it in 444 BC. And then of course you also have, you know, scribes that they could simply be making a, a scribal error, you know, skipping a line, as you know, like if you ever try to copy something, you make a mistake. So there are some of those things in there. Nothing that is earth shattering. Nothing that is going to cause us to question or even question the authenticity of Scripture or uh, question uh, the information here. But it is something that someone could use if they wanted to attack and say, "Oh look, this isn't, doesn't line up. Indeed, it doesn't line up, uh, but it's, it's not an insurmountable problem. And if we would actually want to spend time researching it and figuring it out, uh, we could maybe make some pro- a process on it. But we are in chapter 10 verse 1, and as you look at your notes, The first thing that's going to happen is in chapter 10, there's going to be a sealing of a covenant. They're going to be making a covenant. It's going to be the leadership get-together, and they're going to make a covenant. This covenant is the renewal of a commitment to the Mosaic covenant. And so there's nothing necessarily new here. It's just that they're going to be renewing the covenant. They're the covenant people. They've all drifted away. They're coming back from captivity. Their ancestors had, gone, had had disobeyed. They're coming back. And it's going to be, first of all, at the beginning of chapter 10, it's going to be the leaders of the people are going to be using their signet rings, uh, their, their cylinder seals. Uh, they're going to be basically putting their impression, their name, in some kind of clay or some kind of document They're going to be sealing it or signing it. Once the leadership have signed the covenant, then you're going to have the the general population. And the general population is going to include, uh, you know, it's going to include priests and Levites also. Not every priest, but some of the leading priests will sign it. But then everyone is going to come by and they're going to take an oath. And an oath of we as a community are going to follow this, again, Mosaic covenant, we're going to follow this renewal covenant that we're making that we're going to follow the mosaic covenant we don't want to use the term new covenant because that's in the new testament new covenant they're just making a new commitment to the mosaic covenant and in this oath it's going to involve when you take an oath with a covenant it involves a curse Uh, this was typical is if i break this covenant this is what is going to happen to me and so the population is going to take that that uh, the oath, which puts them under a curse, that they're going to follow it. Then the next thing we're going to see as we rush through this, is we're, that's on page 1. On page 2, we're going to see uh, chapter 10, verse 30, the general obligations of the temple. It's going to basically include, we're not going to marry with the foreigners, we're going to observe the Sabbath, which seems to be two things the people are having trouble with, that they're intermarrying with the nations which means they were not following, uh, committed to the way of the the law of Moses, but were just surviving and getting along with the the other uh, Gentiles. Um, But then also, they're going to observe the Sabbath, which also involves the Gentiles having come in and set up business places in Jerusalem, in Judea. And so when the Sabbath rolls around, maybe the Jews would observe the Sabbath, but you know all the businesses are open. All the Gentiles are in there running you know their stores, their activities, and it's real easy for them just to just compromise and go the way. Especially since they're a small, struggling group here in Judea, and so they're going to put a stop to that. Then on the rest of page two, they're going to have a commitment in this covenant. It's going to be marriage. Uh, it's going to be the Sabbath, and then interestingly, it's going to be a commitment to the temple. It's going to be to recommit to financing, of updating, of taking care of the temple and the services, which, uh, as we've talked, in 520, they built the temple, completed the temple in 516, and now in 444, I think I did the math before this, I think it's 72 years, uh, but in 444, the temple had been done for 72 years, but it, it has not necessarily been taken care of. Uh, there's there's got to be priests, there's got to be Levites, there's got to be sacrifices, there's got to be grain, there's got to be donations. Uh, one of the things going to come up, there's got to be firewood, continuously providing firewood for the fires, the altars. Uh, and that they're going to take care of, that is one of the things that's going to be in this oath of this covenant. We will take care of the covenant. But not only are they going to just, you know, again, Nehemiah, typical of his personality, they're not just going to take some kind of a a promise, an an altar call, they're going to, you know, have a prayer. They're going to then, okay, we're going to make the commitment. Well, then here is the way it's going to work. Here is the system that we're going to use to fulfill the covenant. It's one thing to have a heart to obey the covenant. It's another thing to set up a system of this is how we're going to go day by day and make sure the temple has wood for the fires. It's one thing to say, we really want to have the temple operating. It's another thing to say, well, who's going to pick the wood up and get it into there? And then we're going to realize in chapter 11, verse 1, uh, the city needs to be repopulated. There are leaders living in Jerusalem, some of the key people, but they need to have more people occupying. They're going to go about and pick that up. And that's on page 3. And then we're going to get into some, I, I'll, I just got it written up there. I try to break it down so it's going to be easy to process of who are the priests that are living in Jerusalem, who are the Levites that are living in Jerusalem, and they're interested, as they would be, of who are these people, where do they come from. And so are am going to trace their genealogy all the way back to uh, the grandson of uh, of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, so I'm going to trace it back to the, the priests of the days of David. And then we're going to go ahead and you know look at some of the cities in the in judah and that's where this map comes in and you've got the little booklet there uh with all the uh, maps in it that we'll need tonight in fact i'm gonna take this one home because i was looking for one okay so here we go i'm gonna begin on page one and just read through the information and again as you notice chapter 10 11 and 12 uh we'll see what happens uh page one at the top this first section verses 1 through 27 involves the sealing of of the covenant, they're going to come together. So here it is, chapter one, verse one. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, and then it goes through, and it's got three names for every verse. That's why we're moving so fast. Chapter verse two: Seraya, Azariah, Jeremiah. Uh, these are just names of people that are signing the covenant. This so is the first one to put their signet ring in the in the. Uh, clay or you know would be uh nehemiah the next guy we do not know his name is zedekiah the best guess is he's one of uh, nehemiah's uh, officials maybe his his personal secretary a lot of times the king or royalty uh, would give their ring their signet ring to another individual so they could do the signing of the of the paperwork, they could be the secretary, and so first one to sign is Nehemiah. Possibly Zedekiah's secretary, and then you're going to have a list of a bunch of names. If you want for entertainment purposes, I could try to read through those all, uh, but you just go through verse two, verse three, verse four. Three names in each verse. Generally, there's a Daniel. There's a Barak. Uh, there's a Abed, Abed Abijah, all the way through, and they are all at the end of verse eight. I've got it in bigger letters. These are the priests. So you've got Nehemiah, uh, his secretary, and a bunch of priests getting together and sealing this covenant that they've made. It's the leadership is getting together and sealing the covenant. Uh, point verse nine, and the Levites. Now you're going to get a list of all the Levites who are also going to add their seal to the. I'm not sure if it's a it's a some kind of a. a, a, a parchment paper, if it's uh, some kind of a clay that they're all s- uh, sealing their, like I say, their ring or their cylinder seal, they're leaving their mark in that, that, that document. So it's priests, Levites, and the governor of the land are sealing that covenant, saying they've cut a covenant. Then chapter 10, 10 verse 28, this is the swearing to the covenant by the general population. That's what I referred to right here, and now here it goes. Verse 28, the rest of the people, I got that in bigger letters, it also includes the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants. So coming up here, we're going to talk more about the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants. You've already heard about the temple servants. You know where they live. They live there on the Ophel. Their place of living is right there on the temple in Jerusalem. But there's, these are those that are not in the sense of the leadership, but those that are serving in the temple. They all got together and they are described after saying the rest of the people priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land. So that was one of the qualifications. If you're going to sign this covenant, if you're going to swear to an oath, you're going to have to separate yourself. From the Gentiles. We are a unique people. We are the Jews. We're coming back to follow the Mosaic law in the land God has given to us. We're going to have to separate from the Gentiles. Uh, And and, uh, it says, who who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land, and they're separating from the people of the land to the law of God, which would be the Mosaic covenant their wives, their sons, and their daughters. So in most cases, you're going to have the head of the family making the commitment and that the family else is going to come along with it. And it also describes them as all who have knowledge and understanding. They're going to have knowledge of this law and understanding of the law. And that goes back to the previous last couple of weeks we talked where they are reading from the law and the Levites were mingling with the people here at the Watergate. They were mingling with the people and Ex- translating it, explaining it, so the people had understanding. So instead of just blindly coming into this covenant, they know the word of God, they know what they're committing to, and so you're gonna have to, they're going to have to separate from the people, they're going to have to commit to the law, and only if you, understand, if you know it and understand it are you going to be able to swear this oath, and swearing that oath would involve a curse if you violate it, which of course is worth considering, uh, when we start talking about making you know, a commitment to Jesus Christ, coming to Christ by faith, uh, it's nice to have a little bit of knowledge about what you're committing to and what's to be expected of you. Uh, verse 29 says, They joined with their brothers, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His rules and His statutes. Now, again, this is not them saying, do not think they are saying, we need to be saved, how do we go to heaven when we die? We're going to keep the law of Moses and then we'll have eternal life that's not even on the radar they are the people of God they are a community of God a special people chosen that God is working history through them and to be the people of God to walk in this covenant accomplish what God wants them to they're going to have to follow the law The law was, in a sense, their commitment, the sign that they were indeed called. They're not going to keep the law. Now watch, they're not going to keep the law, and because they're obeying the law, guess what? You qualify, you get to be Israel, you get to be God's chosen people. No, they are God's chosen people. And so because they are, they're going to now commit to this law because we've been chosen to do something different than those people over there and those Samaritans over there and the Ammonites over there. We are the chosen people. They're not using the law to accomplish being the people. They're doing it because they are the people. And over here, there's going to be a a purpose there's going to be something God is doing with them that he has chosen these people, do this so we can accomplish this goal. Again, keep that in mind when you talk about it because it's slightly different than when people talk, you know, well, they're, they're going to earn their self. How do Jews go to heaven? They obey the law. The Jews, uh, they, they, they think they're the people. That's what Jesus and John the Baptist had trouble with Uh, They thought they were the people of God. We are the chosen. I mean, we are the special people. And that's where John says, he could have made these stones the sons of Abraham. You've been chosen by God. Now you need to do what he's called you to do. And so it's just kind of interesting as uh, you look at that. But nonetheless, understand that's what's taking place right here. Page 2, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 30 through 31 these are the general obligations of this covenant in a general sense this is what folk. now again the law of moses is very broad we could spend years going through that what is interesting is they're making a commitment to the law of moses they say they've got knowledge they say they've got understanding But these are, in a sense, the hot buttons. Like every culture, every generation, there's some hot buttons. We're having trouble. In the 60s, we were having trouble with this. In the 70s, this was the weakness. Now we're in 2020s, and here's the hot button issue. Sometimes they're the same hot button issues. Sometimes the target moves. The law stays the same, but the weaknesses maybe move around. And here they are, the first one. We've mentioned them already, Chapter ten, verse thirty: We will not give our daughters to the people of the land, or take their daughters for our sons. And so, in other words, we are not going to intermarry with the Gentiles. Now, this is not a racist statement. This is more of a uh, a philosophy. This is more of an ideology. This is more of a worldview. This is about we are the people of God. We've got this standard that we live by. The Gentiles are not even interested. That's why they're coming in here and opening up their shops in our cities on the sabbath they don't even want to be like us why would you send your son or your daughter to marry them and bring them into your family when they're not even it's not that they're a different race in fact the bible makes very clear that you can join the people of god uh, by becoming a, a proselyte by by joining with them and making this commitment but you're not joining the race you're joining their in a sense their their system, their culture, we would say their religion. Uh, and so keep that in mind. That's what's breaking them down. They're just, they're just letting their families just dwindle off into the world. Uh, verse 31, And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath, they come into the city of Jerusalem or any city on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. Now, Nehemiah is going to make that later on as we get into the next couple chapters. Nehemiah is actually going to say, okay, I got a way of fixing this. I can keep them from selling on the Sabbath in Jerusalem. We shut the gates. You can't come in. Well, then they set up outside the city, outside the gates. So all you got to do is slip out the door and you can buy outside the city. And that's going to be a situation that's going to be a problem because these same people that are making this covenant, Nehemiah is going to come back and have to later in this book he's going to have to address mixed marriages and he's going to have to address the gentiles selling on the sabbath and the jews buying on the sabbath and ezra and nehemiah are not going to take that very well Uh, and we'll see how they deal with it and it says and we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the ex ex action of every debt and so uh the, the year of jubilee well the seventh year the sabbatical year Every seventh year, they'll just let the land rest. They won't expect payments and just let everything settle for you as if it's a not just a holy day or Sabbath day, but an entire Sabbath year. So those are the two main commitments. And now, chapter 10, verse 32 through 39, now they're going to start talking about the temple. And this gets a little detailed. I'll try not to spend a lot of time in it. But it does indicate that the temple has been neglected, and Nehemiah is not just coming in, building a wall, saying, okay, let's get going. He's going to help set up a system to make sure they can do what they're making a covenant to do. And here it is, chapter 10, verse 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. So every year they would have to give an individual... Uh, you know, an adult male would have to give a third of a shekel and that money would go to the temple for, you know, whatever they needed. It would be the daily needs. If it be, you know, they need a, some brickwork needs to be done or they need to pay for some labor or whatever. They would it, was, it was taxation to keep the temple running. Now, originally, you can go back, and I think I've got it written in here somewhere in the footnotes. Uh, Moses, it was half a shekel half a shekel in 14, let's say, 40 B.C. Now in 444 B.C., it's changed to a third of a shekel. Uh, It's probably because this being adjusted to the Persian monetary system it's, it's equal, it's the same thing. If you call it deflation or inflation, it's a third of the she- a shekel. So again, it's not that it's a magic number, a half a shekel, it's the value probably that's being translated into the 444 B.C. But that third part of a shekel, for the service of the house of our God, and for this, for the showbread, that's the bread of the presence that's laying on, the when you come into the temple, the holy place, it's changed out. Uh, and, and it's on the table on the right side. Uh, the regular grain offering, so they'd have to be purchasing these things. The regular burnt offerings, the Sabbath, and all the Sabbaths would be all of the holy days, all the rituals they've got to take care of. The new moons, celebrations, the appointed feast, if it's a feast of tabernacles, if it's the day of atonement, uh, you know, all the feasts need to be taken care of. The holy things, maybe something breaks, they need a new, you know, uh, incense burner and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of God and that work of the house of God would be the labor you know of the priests the Levites doing whatever they need to do but also anything they needed you know repaired it, it was a, a building it was a structure and so this third of a shekel is going to help go for that and everyone is saying we won't hit her Mary We'll observe the Sabbath and we'll start paying a third of a shekel to the temple, which gives the impression they haven't been. It's just, it's sitting there. The temple is there, but it's built. But how run down is it? And I don't think that's the reason that they were meeting at the Watergate. Remember, we made a big deal about how they're not meeting on the Temple Mount. They're meeting at the Watergate outside. I think that was more to get the Word of God out amongst the people. But actually, you know, not actually, but it does make you wonder, was it because the temple was so... Uncared for, Uh, I don't think that's the issue, but it's just also interesting that that was was part of the problem. Chapter thirty-four, or verse thirty-four. Then it says, "We, the priests, the Levites, and the people—again, this is not just the people taking a vow to the priests; these are the priests, the Levites, along with the people—will likewise here it is cast lots for wood offering. That's one of the things they're in need of." they're in need of wood for fire. Uh, In the the altars, if it's to stay warm, there's different places they've got things burning, and they've got to have wood. And instead of Nehemiah just saying, okay, uh, you guys got to figure out you need some wood, he's going to create a system for them, and it's going to be done by lots. So instead of Nehemiah or some priest or someone saying, you're in charge of it, they're going to just put everybody's name in a basket, however they're going to do it, and they're going to draw lots, "...for the wood offering, to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord, as it is written in the law." So it says, according to our Father's houses, they're still using to identify people, not just your name, but your, the, whose father, whose household do you come from, so they could keep things in categories. This is the family of this, this is the family of this person. And they're going to now put those names in a hat, how they're going to draw it out, how they're going to do it. They will cast lots. And what's going to happen is it will be appointed times where you have to bring it in this day, this week, or they'll have to bring it in this particular week. How much? And some people will be cutting the wood. Some people will be transporting the wood. And that it includes who's bringing it in. It involves some of the Levites having to go, who's going to go out and get the wood? Someone's got it cut, it's stacked up. How's it going to get here? Well, Well, we're going to take a lot. You're in charge of going out and picking up the wood on this particular day every year, or your father's house is. So it may not be me individually, but it'd be my family. So from year after year after year, when I no longer can walk out there and bring the wood in, someone from my house is responsible for that part of the, of the work of... Again, notice right here, we're talking about who's providing the wood, who's providing it, who's cutting it, who's transporting it. And it's not just this year, it's now a standard. This family is responsible for this week or this transportation of the wood. Um, verse 35, we obligate ourselves, this is the priests, the Levites, the people to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Now some of these first fruits are going to be used as offerings, but some of them are going to be used cuz the Levites and the priests do not have land. They are in charge of the temple. And so this is going to be their their supply line. And this has been neglected. And so of course if you're a priest or a Levite and no one's bringing you the offerings, You're letting the temple go to, you know, deteriorate because you've got to go out and, you know, get a job. You're out working a field somewhere. Why aren't you in the temple? I'll starve. No one's bringing anything in. And so we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God to the priest who minister in the house of our God the firstborn of our sons. Now they would bring the firstborn and they would redeem them. They have to bring the firstborn dedicated to the Lord and then they wouldn't keep the son. They'd have to pay some kind of a, a finance to, you know, to replace the son staying there. Uh, our sons also of our cattle as it is written in the law And the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. Now the Levites are not all living in the temple or in the temple ground. Uh, They're not all living in Jerusalem. They're scattered, as we can see in in the law. They're scattered throughout the land. There's Levitical cities. Now, again, this is just Judah. They've lost the north and the south. But there was originally Levitical cities throughout Israel, and the Levites would live there. Uh, People would then provide, bring their grain offerings, sometimes right to the Levitical city, to provide for the Levites, who were supposed to be teaching and overseeing the law throughout the land, even if they weren't going to the temple. They were still overseeing the law. So, they're bringing the tithes to the Levites. Verse 38, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. An interesting note on point thir- verse 38 is when you're whenever the Levites are out collecting tithes, it's not just the people and the Levites, there's going to be a priest there observing, are you bringing in the right amount and are the Levites treating it the right way? Are the Levites, because very quickly, and it had happened in the past, the Levites or the priests become abusive to the people, or the people, in this case, for example, they just stop bringing it in. The priests would be observing the exchange, to make sure this is fair and this is fair. It says they'll be observing the Levites receiving the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes, up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God. Do you understand what that just said? They're being given the tenth part from all the fruit of the land around their village where they're living. But when they get 100% of it, they've got to take a tithe or a tenth of the tithe and bring it down to Jerusalem to the temple. And that's what is being said right there. Um, it bring the Levite tithes uh, of our grounds. Levites will collect the tithes from our towns wherever we labor. Verse thirty and the priests and the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. So on the on the temple mount, there were buildings, there were chambers to meet in, there are chambers to store their garments in, but there are also storerooms to store the grain that was being brought. So there's there's a storehouse also. Also, it's got a money chain. There's gold stored there, silver. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, that would be the, all the, the gold or bronze utensils, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. So again, we're mentioning the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, and the singers. And then the, the last line of that, chapter 10, verse 32-39, through 39, is this summary statement we will not neglect the house of our God, which I think would mean we have been neglecting the house of our God. This is all written in the law of Moses, but no one knew the law of Moses. And if you're a Levite, it says, hey, someone ought to be bringing me some stuff. It's like, where are you getting this from? So they've been instructed in it. They understand it. And uh, that's what's taking place. And so that's all the notes I've got written there on the top of page three. I think I refer to that. And that ends chapter 10. Not bad, huh? Chapter 10 is done already. Scoffers, you didn't think I could do it? And there it is. Now, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, we're talking about now repopulating Jerusalem. Um, and what we're going to see here in these verses is the leaders. You have apparently, and you got to decide to have the leaders move into Jerusalem, or have the leaders always been living in Jerusalem? I'm going to present it this way. The leaders have settled in Jerusalem because when we were going around, remember these guys that were helping build the wall? They were building opposite their house. So the, generals, the city is not full of people, but there are leaders living in the capital city. In fact, that's why they built opposite their house because their house is in Jerusalem. And so that's what this is saying, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their towns. So already, all the leaders, if you're a leader, you're living in Jerusalem. But if you're just a common person needing a a, a career, needing a job, needing a farm, you're living in the rural area, farming. You're, You're providing for your family. And to move to Jerusalem, there's nothing to do. And so... Now Nehemiah says, one out of ten, they're going to draw lots again, one out of ten is going to move to Jerusalem. And nine out of ten are going to stay in the rural areas. And so, it says right here, and nine out of ten remained in the towns. Verse 2, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now that can mean one of two things. Some people go, well, hey, I'll move to Jerusalem. I'll be one of the ten. Or it may mean that when your name got chosen. Now, imagine, I mean, would I like to move to Jerusalem? I would like to have someone say, you need to move to Jerusalem. It'd be like, okay, that's cool. Uh, but, okay, you still have reality. What are you going to do when you get there? How are you going to get there? What are you going to do as far as career, money? How are you going to stay alive there? Well, I thought I was going to, you take care of me. It's like, no, we need you to go there and figure out how to make a living. And so one out of ten, if they're being chosen to go, uh, they're leaving their farm, their community, and it's, it's going to be a challenge. And so the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to go live in Jerusalem. It's like, thank you. We, we appreciate what you're doing to repopulate Jerusalem. Nehemiah knows if this is the capital city, it's got the walls, it's got the temple, we need people living here. And once you get people populating it, restaurants are going to pop up and, and all you know the, the grocery stores will show up and it'll, it'll be a nice city. Uh, chapter 11, verse 3, people lived in Jerusalem and the rural towns of Judah. Verse 3 talks about people living out here. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, this was but in the towns of judah everyone lived on his property in their towns israel the priest the levites the temple servants and the descendants of solomon servants so living in these cities and these are mentioned in this chapter living in these cities are israelites some priests some levites some singers and some of the uh temple servants that were serving solomon they don't live in jerusalem they're living out here if you remember, uh, uh, for a good classic case is Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. They would go, they would have s- systems, if it would be every 12 months, or they'd serve for four weeks, or they'd serve for two weeks. They may live in a city of Judah, but once every year for two weeks, they would move to Jerusalem because their, their, their family, their time for service in the temple would come. It wasn't always the same priest, you'd have the high priest, you may have some of the leading priests, but all the underlings, you know, the priests that were just priests, that did the daily, you know, they'd have daily rituals, they'd have sacrifice in the morning, in the evening, they have daily things they had to take care of, and you would, in this sense, you would do it for maybe two weeks, if David had broken it down to divisions of 24, you would have two weeks of service, and then you'd go back and live the rest of the year in your community, and then it would come up again, you'd go back in, the next year, for two weeks. That's what Zachariah, John the Baptist's father, was doing. And then if you want to add to that story, you would have this group of priests go in and work for two weeks, but the odds of being chosen to go in and burn incense on the incense altar, there's thousands of priests. You could live your entire life showing up for work for two weeks every year and returning, and they draw who's going to go in and burn incense today, and your name never come up. Well, that's what happened. Zechariah was there, and he was an old man. And for the first time, his name came up, and he is going to go into the temple and burn incense on the incense altar in front of the curtain for the first time. It wasn't like something he did every day. He had never done it before, potentially. And so it was a a big deal. His name had come up by a lot because he was the guy that God wanted to meet there. So nonetheless, these priests are living out here. That's what it says. Chapter 11, verse 3. People lived in Jerusalem and the rural towns, These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns, Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. One-tenth of all those people had to move into Jerusalem according to this this chapter. Nehemiah 11, verses 3 through 19. Uh, These are those, again, this is redundant, not redundant. We haven't talked about it before, but... I've got to try to break it down kind of like so you can see it quickly because unless you're going to really get into the genealogy and look all these names up and do some kind of textual research, um, it's just telling you these are the people who lived in Jerusalem and they're going to be broken down into the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin, which gives us the impression besides Levites and and the priests, you've got two tribes basically here. You've got basically the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin that is being talked about here. Although I believe living in the land, you had people coming back from exile from all the tribes. But it says chapter 11, verse 4. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin. And now you're going to get a list of whose families was living in Jerusalem. And the first one is of the sons of Judah. And I've got it underlined who it was because you're going to get the name. I've got one, two names there of the sons of Judah. You see all those names there? The ones I've got underlined is the first one, Athaiah, 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 and then you're going to have a whole bunch of names who was the son of, 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 and then you get the very first one, the son of. Perez. And if you go back and look, Perez is right back there by Judah. It's one of his immediate descendants. And so, of course, this, this is, you see all those, that doesn't mean there's one, two, well, let's count them. Athaiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Sephatiah, the son of Mahalal, the son of, you got like six or seven generations. Well, that's not right. There's got to be like, you know, There's at least 20 or 30 generations. So what you see right there is not a mistake. It's, who is this guy? We're just going to give you some general names. He's from this guy right here. That's this family. It's not a, we're not doing a genealogical record. This is like his title. This is who ident- how he's identified, if that makes sense. So people say, that, well, that's not even a complete genealogy. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be ident- enough identification so you know who this guy is. And so that's one family that's living in, Ju- in Jerusalem from Judah. And then verse 5, you also have Maasiah, That's the second family. The son of Baruch, the son of Kolhose, the son of Hazaiah, the son of Adaiah, the son of Joirib, the son of Zachariah, the son of the son of the Silonite. And so... That goes way back to where he originated from. And so you've got, if you look at that verse that way, you, how many families of Judah do you have living in Jerusalem? Two. And those are the two lines. Does that make sense? You say, well, look, you've got, you got Uzziah and Zachariah, and Those are all the family names. You've got two families of Judah. Then verse 7, and these are the sons of Benjamin. Now, there's a whole bunch of names too, yeah, but... Oh, uh, by, I, should, I should, right here, verse 6. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were... Four, these two families, of all of them, were 468. And they were called valiant men. Again, meaning as far as, as warrior, of being noble, of being able to stand up. So that, that's, there's not just two men two families and they break make up 468 people from judah now from benjamin there's going to be 928 now you see the paperwork nehemiah is doing the research that he's putting into this and the son and these are the sons of benjamin Shalu was living there this guy with his family was living there and his family was a descendants of uh Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of pediah Pedaiah, the son of Kolaiah, the son of Maciah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jesaiah and his brothers. And they were 928 men of valor. So these are great men. One, they're living in Jerusalem. They're, they're back here committed to the holy city, not out here just trying to make a living. Uh, that's one reason. Maybe it has something to do with their you know, their background, their military skill, whatever, but they're called valiant men and, and men of valor. So you add these two numbers together, let's just say 1,400, you got 1,400 people from Judah and Benjamin living in the city. And so it's like, well, that's a lot of people. We're talking about the capital city of a, of a province of Israel that's trying to be rebuilt, and there's only 1,400 people from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin living in the city. And Nehemiah says, we need more people. Uh, And then again, verse 9 on page 4, it says, Joel, the son of Zechariah, was their overseer. So he was kind of overseeing some kind of leadership position. And Judah, the son of Hashanua was second over the city. So the, the leaders, Joel was the leader, and the other guy, Judah was the second leader. The vice. He was the, the vice president of the group. And they were the ones leading the group of Benjamin there. Okay, now, that, now that's the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin in Jerusalem. Of the priest, and once again I try to make this simple, uh, I underline, Jediah, the son of Joarib. And then, interesting, it just says this is one of those mistakes. Again, I don't want to say mistakes, it doesn't match, it's It's like, well, now, is Jediah the son of Joarib, the son of Jachin? Or is it Jediah the son of Joarib, and Jachin the son of, we don't know. And then it says, Saraiah the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshalum, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, Merah, the son of Ahitub. Now we're back to David's time of the priest. Ruler of the house of God. He was the high priest during the days of David. So obviously, once again, well that's not a complete genealogy it's not supposed to be you're just identifying the family of Saraiah. who was he he was the son of Hilkiah and goes on back and you see how they they trace it back it's, this is who it was uh, and their brothers who did the work of the house they're working in the house of God they're working in the temple from that family and there were 822 of those priests in the city and the second family And Adaiah, the son of Jehoram, gives you all the son of, son of, son of, son all those names. Uh, And there's 242 of that family of priests. And then finally, it's got one more. Amashiah, the son of Azel, all the way through. And these and their brothers were mighty men of valor. Their overseer was Zebdiel the son of whoever and there was 128 of those so you add that together and that's your priests living in the city of Jerusalem there are other priests living out in the rural area and some of them are going to remain and eventually when the systems up and running they're going to come in for 2 weeks and serve go back to their communities but these are the ones living so we know who's from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin who's the priest living in the city basically you're getting a list of the city finally verse 15 and of the Levites. Shemaiah, the son of Hashab, the son of Azrakim the son of Hashabiah, the son of Bunny, that's one. Then the second one, and Shabbatiah and Jazabed, of the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the outside work of the house of God. Notice the priests were doing the work of the house. The Levites are doing the work outside the house. They're the ones bringing in animals, bringing in the wood, taking out the carcasses, cleaning up the utensils. The priests are working inside the house. Now you've got the Levites, and they're working outside the house of God. And then it goes on, verse 17, you've got another individual, Mattaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, Asaph, who was the, watch, here it is, verse 17, the leader of praise who gave thanks. So now you've got one of the Levites, he's in charge of praise, I would assume that involves some worship. That's the singing, the giving of thanks. So he would be, his family's in charge of this. They would be some kind of, what we would say, praise and worship leaders. And the, also another family of Levites, bak back the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shamuah, the son of Gelel. uh, All the Levites in the holy city were... 284. Now, again, that is interesting. 284 Levites. These are the working bees of the temple. Uh, not a, they didn't even want to come back from captivity. Remember how when Ezra comes, he had to go, he's kind of, okay, are we ready to go? How many Levites we got? You know, 10. 10? Well, we can't leave until we get some Levites because the Levites have to do the work. But they were probably, you know, instead of being temple servants, serving the, the, the priests, They had probably found some business, some new opportunities in Babylon. They didn't want to come back. And now we get this far, 444 B.C. uh, There's still not very many Levites there in the city. But now, the gatekeepers. We've had the priests. Well, we've done the two tribes, Judah, Benjamin, the priests, the Levites. Now, there's another class called the gatekeepers. Now, these are not the gatekeepers of the city wall These are the gatekeepers guarding and keeping the temple holy. It was important that nothing unholy came on the temple mount, and so the gatekeepers would observe everything. What was being brought in? Who was coming in? uh, And here it is, the gatekeepers. Aqab, Telman, and their brothers, who kept watch at the gates, 172. So you've got 172 gatekeepers watching the gates. Nehemiah 11, verse 20. There were some living in the rural cities. Now we're going to go to who's living out here in all these cities. Who's living there? Israelites, priests, Levites, and the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites. Oh, excuse me. That was my title. Verse 20. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were all in the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. So there's people all across these cities. Uh, and Nehemiah is saying, one out of every ten of those has to come into the city so we can up all these numbers. Nehemiah 11:21. 21. Also in Jerusalem were temple servants on the Ophel. And that we know that because we identified them when we made the maps. Verse 21. But the temple servants lived on the Ophel, and Ziah and Gishpa were over the temple servants. And those are the two leaders there of the temple servants living there. So we know that they're living in Jerusalem. Again, you can see that information. You say, what is this information good for? Uh, it's Nehemiah doing his bookwork, and we've inherited it in our scriptures. Chapter 11, verse 22. Also in Jerusalem were Levite singers. So here it is, verse 22. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Yuzi, the son of Benai, son of Heshabiah, all the way through, and the sons of Asaph. He originally, the, the guy's name was Uzi. And he's the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. And eventually the son of, you can see right there, I've got it underlined, the son of Asaph. And Asaph was one of the original singers uh, over the work of the house of God. And so he's mentioned, for there, were, there was a command. Well, okay, verse 23 is interesting. For why was he singing and how was the temple, why was it operating at this time? because it says for there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required so the king required that there were singers and there was set aside finances to keep uzzi and the band going on the temple mount now the question is who is this king one option Who set up all all the divisions of the priest? David did. David set this up. So the king could be David. But how's David providing for all this? Most likely, I've I've got that in italics. That parentheses in italics is my addition. The king is most likely to the Persian king who sent Ezra over, who sent Nehemiah over, who's actually helping finance this whole thing, Persian king and probably Artaxerxes in this in this context has required that Uzai and the singers on the Temple Mount and he set aside money for them to keep singing. I'll read that again. Um, the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzai the son of Benai the son of Hashabiah the son of Mattaniah son of Micah of the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. Why were they there? Verse 23. For there was a command from Artaxerxes, I'm going to say that's who it was, concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. So again, some king said you've got to be there and was financing it. Uh, you can choose. I'm just saying the, the logical one is who's making that happen. Artaxerxes is the same one who's financing Nehemiah. And verse 24. And Pethaat Pethahiah the son of Meshezabel okay I'm so sorry of the sons of Zerah the son of Judah was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people so this Pethahiah this guy we'll just call him Peth he was a descendant of all these people and from Judah where was he he was at the king's side concerning all these matters So it wasn't like Artaxerxes was focused on Judah and watching the temple services. He was getting his information from Pethahiah, who was informing Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes says, yes, finance that thing, keep it going. So your go-to man, you're not going to get to talk to Artaxerxes, but if you get a hold of uh, Pethahiah and say, hey, we need more singers, we need new guitar strings or something, Pethahiah is going to make it happen. So I would think he's the one at the king's side talking to the king about what's going on concerning the singer Uzziah right there. That's what's being said there. And how, how, how do we know this? Well, Nehemiah knows this because Nehemiah's part of this system. He knows who's financing this. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 25 through 36. Uh, and this is talking about all these villages right here and that you've got a map of this in your little booklet, but it's also on your notes. And as for the villages, we've been talking about Jerusalem. With their fields, and the key about each of these cities, these little towns, is their their fields, because that's that's where the food comes from. That's the agriculture. That's the the finances. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in, and it gives the names Kiriath, Kiriath Arba and its villages. Now, Kiriath Jerim, uh Kiryarth Arba. I'm looking for it here. I've got it on the map somewhere. um and I, I try to get to all these cities and villages where am i okay and in debon and its villages let's see if we can find debon on here just so we debon debon i'm not having very good luck here where's debon i'm going to go to another map you see it on this what am i missing i thought i had this all nailed down when i did this little booklet Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's over in, okay, it's over in, yeah, it's over in Ammon. Okay, sorry. Uh, it says, uh, it gives all this, uh, the, the people living in all these cities. Okay, it's 25, 26. Okay, this gets really boring here very fi- quick. Zigleg, okay, we know where Zigleg's at. That's oh, that's down here. That's down further south, isn't it? That's off this map, too. Uh, but goes through and gives all those all those cities, including their fields. I think the very the map on this notes. Oh yeah. Zig legs on that first map on page five. It's it's down in Idumea uh, at this time. But gives you all those names of those cities. So they encamped from Beersheba. Okay, now this is interesting. This is I want to point this out. And we got to go back to page 5. I don't have the right. Why don't I have a map for this? Oh, I do right here. Tick-tock, tick-tock. There it is. That's the bigger map. We're still waiting for this all to collapse on me some night. There's Zigleg. There's, uh, over here's Debon. Uh, but it says right there from Beersheba, right there looking in... Uh, Oh, page 6, thank you for putting up with me here, page 6, and uh, the verse 30, right before verse 31 begins, and so they encamped, all these people of Judah encamped from Beersheba right here to the valley of Hinnom, which is up here in Jerusalem, it's, it's, the, the, it's going to be the, the west side coming down around the south of Jerusalem, so they're camped all the way across here, all these people that Nehemiah has taken note of, and then verse 31 the people of Benjamin also lived in Geba, Michmash. Now, those cities are going to be up here, more like this, up here in, towards the tribe of Benjamin, up here in this area, up here, Geba, Michmash, right there. And you can see that on that map that you've got on the page right there. Go through all those names. That's where the tribes of Benjamin. And then finally, in verse 35 and 36, it says, Lod and Ano, the Valley of Craftsmen. So there's Lod and Ano. And right here is the Valley of Craftsmen. You can see it on the map on page 6. But that's that's the extended part. They're living in those areas. And certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. So in those cities of Benjamin, certain Levites have been assigned their living. Nehemiah, chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. This is the record of the genealogy of the priest. These are the priests and Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. This is copied right out of previous text, coming out with Zerubbabel way back in 537. Uh, and the sons of Shittil and we've got this record before and sometimes you're going to see mistakes in it because it's been copied from different sources Uh, there were the chiefs of the priests and the brothers in the days of Joshua and Joshua is Joshua going back to the original return uh, where you've got uh, 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 Zachariah and Haggai talking, prophesying to these people so that's the record Nehemiah includes those records there and then you've got chapter 12 verse 8 through 26 the record of genealogies of the levites and it goes through the levites Joshua goes all the way through that list on page 7 it continues over there this is just giving this is just keeping track of who's who of all the priests the levites and in Nehemiah chapter 12 verses 12 through 21 the list of names of priests who were the heads of their fathers house and in the days now this is interesting verse 12 i'm about done in In the days of Joachim, were priests, heads of their father's house, which is interesting because what that is indicating is you've got a previous record back in the days of uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest. That was 538. You go through the 520, the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah, the rebuilding of the temple in 516. Well, now we're some 70, 80 years into the future, and now. He's giving the list. So it would go, it's going to include some updates. So there's, that's going to be part of, well, it doesn't match exactly. Well, he's going to clean it up, explain it, clarify some things. And so he's re-giving that list. You see there who everybody belongs to. For example, look in verse uh, 13. It says, Of Ezra, the man's name was Meshullam. Of Amariah, the man's name was Jehohanna. Of, and of the family of Meluki, there was the man named Jonathan of the family of Sebeniah. There was a man named Joseph of the family of, you see how that's all being said. Those are all individual men, but it gives their family name first. Nehemiah 12, verse 22 through 23 uh, is a list of names of Levites who were the heads of their father's house. Verse 22, in the days of Eliashib, that would be the high priest joia did johanna and jedua the lead those are names of the the four high priests jedua is the one who meets alexander the great so with Eliashib and those are the four priests the levites were recorded as the heads of their father's house so two were the priests of the reign of darius the persian as for the sons of levi the heads of their father's house were written in the book of chronicles until the days of Johanna the son of Eliashib. So in other words, they're recorded there, but it stops the recording at a certain date. And Nehemiah twelve, verse twenty four through twenty five. And the chiefs of the Levites gives their names, their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and give thanks, they'd be singing. When it says stood opposite them, that probably means were their replacements. They were the main ones, but on the backside there was someone to step up and take their place. According to the commandment of David, the son of God, watch by watch. And so David had set up a system of who would rotate through to sing, if it would be the priest coming in every couple weeks or the rotation of the singers so the singing would never not be accomplished. Nehemiah is making sure that's all taking place and has the names of the men that are going to be doing that, including their backup singers in case they can't make it. And that continues down to verse 25 uh, and gives a list of gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouse of the gates. So there are storehouses on the Temple Mount, but the storehouses also had gates on them, and the gatekeepers were in charge of protecting the storehouses, so when the people brought the tithe in, no one could break in and steal it. Verse, 20, uh, verse Chapter 12, verse 16, it says, verse 26, uh, it says 16, but verse 26, these were the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. So in other words, this is, you say, well, there's some discrepancies here. If This doesn't make sense. Well, Nehemiah is putting a date on it. This is accurate up through the days of the high priest Jehoiakim, Nehemiah, the governor, and when Ezra, the priest, scribe showed up. These are the records at that time and what is taking place in the uh, city of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah has, Ezra comes back and helped restore the law. Nehemiah's got the walls built. He's structured the society, trying to now populate it. And that's going to set us up for next week, which will be a little, uh, little better, is verse 20, chapter 12, verse 27, and something you're familiar with, the dedication of the walls. Now that everything is in position, the priests are there, the singers are there, the people know the law, we've made a new commitment, we've, we've renewed the covenant of, of, the, of Moses, They're going to now have a celebration. They're going to march along the walls and they're going to meet on the Temple mound for a time of singing and celebration. And that is what we'll talk about next week. I appreciate you enduring all that right there. But again, a round of applause would be nice for chapter 10, 11, and 12. I do appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking time. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we, again, would take them to heart and allow these things to transform our lives, that we would have confidence in you, that you have structured things in the Old Testament and in the previous days, that you're also structuring things in our own time. And we ask that we might be part of that and do the things you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your patience and thank you for being here.